we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with Andy Murray, Anna Chazinski, and James Harkin. And once again, we've gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here they are. Chazinski, fact number one. My fact is that if you got into an argument in 18th century Abyssinia, you could resolve it by blaming everything on the camel. The camel? On the camel, yeah. Were all arguments about who had eaten the hay. I think it turned out that all crimes were, yeah, yeah. perpetrated by camels. Um, if you blamed it on the camel too much, he's bound to get the hump. Hey, how long oh, have we been planning nice. that? Uh, yeah, so this was first recorded in Bruce's Travels into Abyssinia to Discover the Source of the Nile. And this book was uh, written between 1768 and 1773, and it was his travels around Africa trying to find the source of the Nile. And yeah. uh, he observed this tradition. Wow. So what, what, what exactly does it involve? So what he said was he came across a town where the townspeople had been fighting for several days when it was agreed upon by the elders of both parties that nobody had been to blame on either side, but the whole wrong was the work of a camel. Oh. And so they, the townspeople rounded up this camel. They chose a camel at random, <laughs> I guess. You can't round up one camel. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a very clever camel. It was a criminal camel. Yeah. Uh, it was seized and everyone in the town gathered around and one by one they speared the camel and oh. he records that they upbraided the camel with all the wrongs done so they told the camel everything he had done wrong shouted at it for a while each one of them speared it and then apparently retired fully satisfied as to the wrongs they had received from the camel uh-huh. so yeah there's quite a long history of blaming things on animals isn't there like scapegoating for instance is yes. a famous one there was a case in St Kilda I think where a great orc was accused of being responsible for a storm that had ravaged St Kilda um, it was captured and put on trial and found guilty and stoned to death this is a real animal presumably or, an orc it's like a bird right? AUK is a bird it's, yes. now, it's now extinct that was one of the first things I ever researched for QI was, was the great it? orc because I joined during the G yeah. series they used them for everything on St Kilda didn't they Yes, they used fulmers and gannets and orcs, and they ate porridge for breakfast, which was you know sprinkled with great orc shavings. And they they had, yeah. yeah, they used to go and kill them in in their thousands. And they men would just walk around because they're flightless. They would go to the islands where they flocked, and they would just go around clubbing them to death because it saved ammunition, so right. you didn't have to waste yeah. bullets killing them. Mm. And then the last one was seen, you know, floating out at sea in the mid nineteenth century, and that was it. It's never oh. been seen since. Wow. Yes. Awkward. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Ancient Egyptians used to, when like they felt they'd been particularly sinful, used to sacrifice an animal and lump all their sins onto this animal, then sacrifice it, and then they'd sell it to foreigners. They'd sell it to Greeks <laughs> or other foreigners because they didn't want to eat the sindon. Classic sacrificial tease the bull. foreigner joke. So is that this where, where we get the scapegoat from? Is that right? No, the, no, scape- the scapegoat is from the Torah from Jewish folklore, okay. I think. And what they would do is, on the Day of Atonement, 
um, the Jewish high priest would lay his hands on a live goat, confess all the sins of the children of Israel, and then um, send it away into the wilderness. It's like a Santa Claus who just gets the naughty list, <laughs> but then has to deal with it. Um. Um, the ancient Greeks used people for this kind of purpose, didn't they? So they would have a Whoa. person, I think it was often a disabled person, who they would, again, they'd pile all their sins upon this person and send him into exile, and that would be that person taking their sins away. Right. And he was called a pharmakos which is where we get pharmacy pharmaceuticals is oh, from because yeah. he would remedy the sins of a wow. of a community yeah that's, it's amazing yeah. yeah it's quite a cool word origin and sort of unpleasant was there a reward for it beforehand did you live quite well before you were cast out yes you did you used to be treated as kind of uh, blessed and cursed so they'd be preserved and they'd be like they'd be hosted around the village and does that not make it worse because like the difference between being sent into the wilderness and just having a normal life is one thing but the difference between that and mm. having a really great life is even worse yeah well yeah. tom hanks explores this theme in the film joe versus the volcano i believe <laughs> um <laughs> if you remember that I one seen that no um, i didn't know that was a great philosophical oh yeah three sides of a film and the qi's gain was newsnight reviews <laughs> loss wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> camels does anyone have anything about camels? I do. Go on. Uh, Google, you know Google Maps? I do, yeah. I've, okay, yeah, I've so Street that. View? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've had one camel with a camera on its back walking the Liwa Desert. That's good. Yeah, it's basically a camel has mapped one of the deserts, one of the great deserts. Just so one just, camel? Just one wow. camel. That's a lot for a camel to do. Yeah. His name's Rafia. That's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> 150 kilometers southwest of Abu Dhabi. And, uh, yeah, just went Is for it. Is it on its own? How do they know? How, how do they direct it? Well, in the it? picture that I've that seen online, there's a dude walking it. You can train camels to go in certain directions uh, by giving them food if they go in one way and then they'll keep going there because they think that's where they'll find food. Mm-hmm. And that's a way that they transport drugs across the Sahara. Oh, yeah. Um, they train these camels to walk from Western Africa all the way up to um, the Mediterranean. Uh, they train them and train them and train them, and then they put the drugs on the back of the camels and they don't need any human assistance at all. So if they get caught, if the camels get caught by the police, then there's no humans yeah. to... No, but again, camels getting blamed. Because yeah. the camel's going to be one, the one that takes the rap. Camel milk is more nutritious than cow milk, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. I don't know why they don't drink it in Australia, for instance, where they've got more camels than anywhere else. Well, they're all feral. They started Wait, but- selling it in America. Why wouldn't camel you? Milk. Yeah, they do. And I think they're trying to make it into a baby milk as well. Australia um, sells camels to Saudi Arabia. Does it? Yeah. Saudi Arabia also imports sand yeah. for use in construction. Exactly. So the Saudi sand isn't good for construction, whereas the Australian one is. And also the um, Saudi camels uh, are for breeding and racing, whereas the Australian ones are good for meat. Um, I've got. I, I was looking into just general excuses because I do like oh, that. Yeah. That's the scapegoat, but it is also just a fantastic excuse to sort of say, let's no longer argue about this stuff. And... Um, so, could I, okay, some, some of my favorite sporting excuses. Yep. This one comes from US sprinter LaShawn Merritt. Oh, yeah. Um, he was banned because he did a drug called DHEA. I'm not going to try and pronounce the longer version of that word. Uh, but he claims it wasn't to improve his performance. He claims, this is a quote, I was trying to make my penis bigger. <laughs> so he didn't realize that it had this kind of drug so in it. It was to right? improve his performance, but just, just oh, not yeah. his sporting yeah. performance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it would probably not help his sporting performance at all would it it's still it could be worse it could be a high jumper this is an interesting I don't think one. you know how high jump works <laughs> <Do> you, <think laughs> yeah, you leave that behind yeah <laughs> 
Here's another one. Uh, so, okay, there's a cyclist called Tyler Hamilton who... Do you know about this one? Uh, I know him. Okay, so he got busted um, because they'd found someone else's red blood cells in oh, his yeah. blood, uh, which suggested that uh, there was all this thing about Plus, replacing yeah. your blood and stuff. Mm. Um, his claim was that it was his unborn twin. Oh. He said that his mother had uh, had a twin who died. Um, weirdly, medical authorities yeah. have said that that's plausible. That could definitely happen. Yeah. It's called chimeraism, isn't it? Oh, is it? And okay. the idea is that you um, had two... Um, babies and then at a very very early stage one of them um, was enveloped into the other one it could be even just when it's a few cells uh, and it means that you can sometimes people who have one eye which is different colour that could be due to chimerism but also yeah it's really interesting actually yeah okay so blaming people blaming your mistakes on other people is socially contagious in the same way that a yawn is um, so they've done studies and they found that when you watch someone else blaming someone, then you will blame someone yourself. And that's more likely to happen. Wow. Ah. So you, there can be a culture of blame. Yeah. That's amazing. Also, you just it. mentioning yawning has made me yawn now. So thank you for that. <laughs> Actually, I think it was probably Why? Dan's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, time to move on to fact number two, and fact number two is my fact. Uh, My fact this week is that in ancient Greece, they used to play with yo-yos. Now, I know that everyone in this room is not as surprised by that as I am, but I just find... That's amazing. It's great, yeah. It is amazing. Oh, okay, because James and Anna seem to know that. But I saw this. I went to a Wikipedia page. Yeah, I thought they just played with Xboxes. (laughs) (laughs) They actually called them Kai Boxes. (laughs) Very good. Um, There's there's a vase, and there's an illustration on this vase of someone from ancient Greece, a boy, playing with a yo-yo. And I looked at that, and I was like, what the hell is that doing there? It's really weird. It's so out of place in time for me. I was saying to James earlier, I feel like that's like, if I was looking for evidence of time travel... And I didn't, you know, didn't know stuff about history, which now I know it's not time travel. But (laughs) I didn't know that that was... I I think that's the only one there is, that jar, I think. And I don't think we have written evidence of it. So, and I don't think Yo-Yo's reappeared until quite a lot later. So maybe he was a time traveller. Wow. And he made it onto a vase. It makes you think as well that if you did get put back into ancient Greece as a Mm. time traveller, then I know I have no uses, but I do know how to walk the dog and rock a cradle in yo-yos I would instantly be Mr. Popular you'd be on all the vases I'd be on every yeah. vase to be down. fair though we only have that one vase because almost all the vases in the world have been smashed from that time so by yo-yos by yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe it's that maybe every single vase in had ancient a Greece on had it. a yo-yo on it yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're um, right. But they do think they do think it appeared in ancient China way before. There's three locations that they kind of say it could belong to: ancient Greece, ancient China, and the Philippines. Mm-hmm. The Philippines is less so of a strong argument, except for the fact that they call it the yo-yo, and that's where America adopted the word yo-yo from. But in Philippines, they used it as a weapon. We thought on QI certainly that um, yo-yos were never used as weapons, uh, and we got quite close to running it as a general ignorance on the show, and I don't think we did in the end. Um, but then I read um, something by President Aquino III of the Philippines, and he reckons that they do have evidence that it was used as a weapon oh. after all. So according to the president, it's true, but we still really oh. don't think it. He said that their version that they used was large and sh- with sharp edges and studs <laughs> and attached to thick 20-foot ropes for flinging at enemies or prey. I've heard a different etymology for yo-yo, which is the it, it was known in France in the late 18th century as the Juju de Normandie. 
which just means a little toy. So that's another possible one. Okay. Mm. It's, it's one of those, again, you look into the history of it and suddenly it starts appearing everywhere. Napoleon's army, it says online. that you Fought know, with yo-yos. No, he just used to play with them in the kind of downtime. Yeah, I, yeah. Of Wellington I read that used Napoleon to play played... I mean, surely that's a myth. There are paintings of, yeah, the Napoleonic army, aren't there, with yo-yos. Almost all pictures of people playing with yo-yos in the 18th, 17th centuries are adults. And it was a really fashionable thing to do. Like, you get Parisian ladies in the 18th century playing with yo-yos, <laughs> so don't cool. you? As they're walking along with their little parasols and their smart clothes. I think it was quite it's trendy. So I just didn't know it was such a big deal, the yo-yo. It, it was a big deal when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. In, the, in the 80s, late 80s, when I was a kid, it was massive in school. We all had yo-yos. Same yeah. in the 90s. Was it was, it? Well, it was voted the biggest fad toy of the 20th century because every childhood has had a yo-yo being a big part of it. Yeah, there was a massive one in 1988, and they, the company that made this particular type of yo-yo um, sold a couple of hundred in 1987 and more than half a million in 1988. Wow. How come? It just became a massive fad and everyone in every school had to have one. Those the companies. company that made them was called PMS International. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really pissed off woman looking for something to occupy her kids. <laughs> um, you used to be able to become rich and famous for Scalextric in America. Really? Yeah, it was massively popular. In the 1960s, um, they used to show live tournaments on US TV, and there were more slot car facilities than there were bowling alleys in America. Uh, that's in the 1960s, and today there are none. No way. Yeah. No what's, way. A, what's a slot car So facility? it's like, so um, I do had you know Scale Electric? It's yeah, the same yeah, thing. It's just it. like... It just slots in on a little, sort of plugs into the track. Um, another famous toy car, maybe oh, yeah. the most famous toy car. Uh, uh, yeah, go on. Um, Brum. Oh, Brum. <laughs> oh, wow. You a cartoon Brum. from the 90s. Brum, yeah. Brum the, the little car who goes on adventures. He's not well, a toy. What's a tire? Yeah, it's a cartoon. What about Hot Wheels? They were quite famous. Yeah, Hot Wheels uh, are massive. I was going for bigger. I was going for the Cozy Coupe. You know that. You know the one I mean, right? No, it's, the, oh, it's yeah. the red and yellow car. Uh, oh yes, yeah, all I used kids to have that as a kid. Have yeah, as a kid that you sit yeah, inside. Life size for a kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah one of those. Um, so that has been the best-selling car in the U.S. It was throughout the nineties, <laughs> oh, and the last great. time, uh, the last source I have was from two thousand and eight. In the U.S. and the U.K., it sells more than any other make of car. <laughs> that's great. Wouldn't that be great if that was the rescue plan for General Motors? Well, we've actually got a new model. We are very excited, and it's going to reinvigorate the American car industry. <laughs> well, it's not a, not a long way from smart cars, are they? They're no, that's true. Similar. Yeah, um, but they're closer to Flintstone cars as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's similar to the fact that Lego is supposed to be the largest um, tire manufacturer yeah. in the yeah. world, isn't it? You know, you can buy a Lego Nazi concentration camp. Uh, no way. Been, yeah, you can. Yeah, it was designed by an artist, and I think it was bought by the Warsaw Jewish Memorial Museum or something. And so, right. it's not meant to be a right. So it's not a commercial product. Cheap. I don't think so. They've said that Lego people are getting angrier as the years go on, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Their expressions. Can I tell you about Twister? Yes, yeah. I, love Twister, I love Twister so much. Is it an ancient This game? is not an ancient Greek game, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. It's on the other side of the vase where yeah. they've never looked. Or they have ancient Persian rugs with the <laughs> circles on there. That'd be great. Um, so, okay, the inventor is, is a guy called Rain Goya. Uh, Rain Goya, I think is his name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but he wanted to call it Pretzel, although one of his initial names for it was King's Footsie. Oh. Um, but the thing is, it tanked when they first sold it because people thought it was risque. Did they sell it as sex in a box or something like well, that? Well, other people complained, supposedly, that the other manufacturers or possibly the bosses at the other firm which made it. And they were going to give up. Sears didn't want it for their catalogue and 
the one last ditch attempt they had was to get it on a TV show, and the PR firm pushing Twister got it onto the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, and he played a round of it with um, Eva Gabor, who was wow. a, a sex symbol at the time. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, the queue was fifty deep, um, and they sold three million that year. Wow! And it was ju- it just it suddenly took off because of that one appearance on TV. It's weird when because toys, if they take off, they really take off. Yeah, like my especially my little- toy helicopters. um my little i i went to see my little niece recently it was her birthday and i was shocked that there's a whole new toy that's dominating everything and it's looms looming is the biggest thing is that loom bands giant weaving looms yep Uh, and you use rubber bands and you loom bands to go around your wrist you make necklaces all that it's the biggest go walk by any kids shop at the moment look in the window it's all looms on display um get this in 2008 the national toy hall of fame awarded oldest toy to the stick (laughs) (laughs) also the cardboard box is in that hall of fame as well yeah (laughs) (laughs) imagine at christmas and your parents go good news we bought you something from the toy hall of fame And that is Andy. My fact this week is that most honeybee hives in the USA live on trucks, on flatbed trucks. They do not live in fields where you might think or in stationary apiaries. Most bees in the USA are driven around and rented out so that they can pollinate plants. They never find a home. They just the truck is their home. I think some. T- I don't know about how it happens during winter, but I think during the summer season there are billions of bees being driven all over America. Um, and they stop and they're released to pollinate uh, a crop and then they go back to the hive in the evening or whenever it is they finish doing all the pollinating and then away they go. That's because of colony collapse, is it? It's partly because of that, yeah. Although colony collapse has slowed down, they're not sure why, but even so, a third of all bees in America die each year. Um, They think it's because of these chemicals used called neonicotinoids. I thought bees would die within a year. They live the lifespan, than a year. well, the lifespan is really variable depending on how hard they work. So I think in <laughs> oh, <that's amazing. laughs> as with people, um, <laughs> we're all in our late eighties. Yeah. <laughs> I think worker bees um, in hot weather, where I think they have to work harder, have a lifespan of about six weeks, and then if it's a cold year, then they can last about ten months. They move around slowly, don't they? They're sort of sluggish. The other thing I read about old bees is if you give them a job that normally young bees do, then their brains stop aging or even reverse aging they get younger it's like doing sudoku for them yeah apart from i don't think the young people are doing sudoku these days (laughs) if you started playing with looms then your your brain would go down or if you teach an old bee to play call of duty advanced warfare yeah yeah cool and the brain chemistry can change can't it so if so i think honeybees do lots of jobs so there are certain like worker bees are just workers um and uh drone bees etc but honeybees do lots of jobs and when they switch from one job to another their actual brain chemistry changes and I think they're one of the only animals that's known to do that in order to adapt them to their other job Um, but they do so uh, we do need them to pollinate our crops don't we I think they pollinate a third of the world's crops they're responsible for 20 billion dollars worth of food production in America alone I think don't flies pollinate flowers more than than bees do no well lots of other things do as well so there are 20,000 species of bee which no one, and the honeybee yeah. is the one that gets all the press. So the agave plant, which tequila is made out of, is 
um, pollinated by bats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the cocoa plant is pollinated by midges. Yeah, Hang on, midges. are we about so. to go through all the plants <laughs> and what they're pollinated? This is my, this this is is James my party mastermind trick. moment. <laughs> <laughs> Never been invited to a party again. <laughs> oh, are you drinking tequila? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't help but noticing you're eating an almond. I wonder if I can tell you about the pollination of the almond. It's a peanut, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> um... There is a bat. If you're listening to this, stop what you're doing and Google the tube-lipped nectar bat because it has the longest tongue proportional to its body look of any animal. It's longer, I think, than the animal itself, or it's two-thirds of the animal's length. And it has such a long tongue, it has to keep a bit of it in its ribcage. And they specialise in pollinating and drinking the nectar from these flowers with incredibly long oh, trumpets. Yeah. So that's what they, they have to do. They have to have this um, unbelievable tongue. Wow. Um, I found a great headline to do with the trucks uh, carrying all the bees. Oh, yeah. And the headline is this. It's someone who made a connection. Why are so many bee-carrying trucks crashing? Apparently, in the last few years, there's been serious problems with these trucks that are carrying the bees Mm. overturning on the road, smashing down and releasing millions of uh, bees into the road. Just millions swarming everywhere. Presumably that happens mostly not on motorways, but on bee roads. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoyed that. <laughs> so they crash. They crash. Yeah, they crash, and they release all these bees. It causes hell for them. And there was a really funny thing of there's been like two to three of these major crashes. Millions of bees yeah. go out. And then one time, another truck uh, came along that crashed, but it wasn't carrying bees. It was carrying honey, and it spilled <laughs> uh, something like 200 gallons of honey, which attracted just oh, thousands no. of swarms of bees. <laughs> and so they had another bee crisis on their hands. And then you can't—you have to get them the right ones back onto the truck when you fix the truck, and you have to separate them. Pliny had a theory that if honeybees were caught outdoors at night, and they, they had to camp out, basically, and they would sleep on their backs to protect their wings from the dew. Ah... But in many Which ways, was rubbish, right? It was rubbish. Yes, it was and remains rubbish. <laughs> oh, God, see, that's how, that's how impressionable I am. I was like, oh, but not true. <laughs> Have you heard of the superhero, the Red Bee? No. He's one of the worst superheroes of all time. I just, I love him. Um, he's His identity is Rick Raleigh. He's an assistant district attorney in Oregon. And his modus operandi is to put on a red and yellow costume. And he has trained bees with which he fights Nazis. <laughs> and this is from the Wikipedia page for the red bee. His favorite bee is named Michael and lives inside his belt buckle for use in special circumstances. <laughs> okay, time for our final fact. And that is James. Okay, my fact this week is the Sacramento Police Department get at least one call a week from people stuck in the world's largest corn maze. That's really funny. Wow. <laughs> I could tell by the way you laughed. No, it was, I, I just like the thought of it, of just the phone ringing in the, in the yeah. station. Ugh. So how it's, big is this corn maze? Uh, it's 63 acres in size. So what do the police do when they're called? Often the police will get into the maze and then they themselves will have to call, call the, police. the bigger police. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Until it's kind of like a conga line that they yeah. eventually find them. Yeah. I think they just calm them down really because it's mostly <laughs> that people are like freaking out a little bit because they're stuck. Okay, uh, and then presumably the owners of the maze and can then go in and, and sort it out. There was a- it must be a nightmare being like, okay, we shot at six, <laughs> nine o'clock now. There's yeah. something in there. We shot at yeah, we shot at six, but last entry is at nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know you're in a serious maze. Yeah. There was a guy in in England who had a maze. It was quite. It wasn't like a big like mm. corn one. It was a, a smaller one, and he was mowing it. He was mowing the paths. 
uh, and he got to about halfway through and then he realized he had to go to his daughter's school thing mm. and so he had to leave but he couldn't get out of his own maze <laughs> and so he just used his lawnmower and just plowed straight oh, no. through and gave himself an exit oh, it's the world's um, worst maze now yeah exactly he said <laughs> i've just found the article he said i'd already had feedback suggesting the maze was tricky to negotiate before i became lost myself <laughs> next year i think i'll make it a bit easier <laughs> next year i'll listen to the bloody feedback yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, mazes in general, they're pretty good, aren't they? I love mazes. I haven't been yeah, a, a maze for good. ages. I don't think I've ever been to a maze. Really? Yeah. Let's all go to Hampton Court. In Germany, mazes are called Irrgarten or Error Gardens. Oh, yeah. How nice. good is that? Yeah. That's good. But they used to be, so mazes grew out of labyrinths, is that right? Yeah, so a labyrinth is a maze with only one entrance and exit, so you can't get lost in it. You just go straight and you come straight back out again. Wait, lots of mazes have surely got only one exit and entrance. Do you yeah, mean but, sorry, one there path? Are, yeah, there are only no dead path. ends. Yeah, so you walk in and you keep walking, yeah. you get to the middle and then you get back out again and there's no way, you can't turn left or right, you just have to go in that direction. I see. Because, the, yeah, there's all the stuff about the labyrinth at Crete with Theseus and the yeah. Minotaur. But you wouldn't get lost in that. You wouldn't even need a thread. So was the labyrinth need... just effectively a more complicated walk? Um, yeah. Like, what was the purpose behind it? So it actually, nice, yeah, okay. it does look nice, but people used it for like um, religious reasons sometimes, or because it's a very particular pattern. Um, one way that you could do it is you would you would walk in, and on the way into the centre of the labyrinth, you would be thinking about your problems, and then on the way out, you would think about your solutions. Well, it's supposed good. to be a con- contemplative thing. Oh, Apparently, nice. like also Norwegian sailors would. Um, would go through these mazes just before they went and it would be good luck so they used it as a charm thing sometimes as well I read other th- another theory um, either symbolising the hard life of an early Christian or showing the entanglements of sin or my favourite uh, you would it would be like doing a mini pilgrimage if you had committed a small sin. <laughs> How good is that? Go to Hampton Court. <laughs> but like that's cheating because labyrinths are quite fun or mazes are quite fun. But I think it's like go and have a long walk and think about what you've done. Kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah <laughs> go on a long walk, but stay within. Yeah. This, stay within sight of me. Yeah, we close at six. <laughs> <laughs> I think they've they found a maze in Peru that's more than three thousand years old. I think so. It's in the Peruvian Andes, and it's beneath Charvin de Huanta, which is this ancient site. And the whole maze is underground, and they think that it oh. acted as a ceremonial, like massive and disorienting acoustic chamber because if you go down into it mm. the way that it's built means that your when you, your voice bounces off the walls madly and like if someone else is in another part of the maze you can never find them and you think they're coming from a different direction and if you're above the maze it sounds absolutely terrifying and they found at this site all these uh, kind of trumpet things and if you blow the mm. trumpets it sounds wow. sounds off like the walls. A, like a torture thing right? yeah i think so yeah so you get lost in this maze and also <laughs> you, sounds are coming from Everywhere. There's an old Scandinavian punishment um, called the uh, Cave of Roses. And that was you would go into a dark cave and then they would throw a load of poisonous animals at you. And you just have to stay there for a while and then come out and hopefully not be bitten. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, I'm a celebrity kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Cave of Roses is a misleading title. <laughs> <laughs> they all have misleading names, torture equipments, because you very rarely get one called the excruciating foot cutter off a thing. There's one called the Pair of Anguish. Oh, yeah. Which That's, is uh, something it's that... It's a piece of metal, right? And it gets put into your mouth. And then I think it's expanded yeah. and it, it hurts They're your jaw terribly. Or, or, or it's heated. and yeah. you know, it's all, But the, the pair, you know, oh, pair. Oh, yeah. I'll have a pair of anguish. <laughs> Not so good. Yeah. The, if a judge has a bit of an eye for the amateur dramatic side of things, he sent, I sentence you to eat a pear oh, of anguish. <laughs> <laughs>
people make mazes into weird things in fact I think I sent you something recently Dan of um, Brian Blessed's face was turned into a maze slash crop circle that's thing that's right yes it's pretty great yeah um, in the November 2004 election in America a farmer carved giant faces of John Kerry and President Bush into his cornfield in Pleasant Grove in Utah which I just think when farmers do that you're ruining your crops right yeah, yeah they do yes. it for um, to bring in tourists and stuff don't they do you reckon they make well, that back? I mean, well, yeah. let's all go and see John Kerry's massive face. Yeah, in a massive draw. In a place <laughs> formerly known as Pleasant Grove. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By studying sheep in mazes, they found that when left to their own devices, sheep tend to turn to the left. <laughs> That's so when, interesting. When left to their own devices, when they're not constantly being bo- bothered. Would you just leave me alone for a bit so I can think? Okay, I'm going to go left. <laughs> You can make an infinite maze in a finite room if you use virtual reality. And they've made these particular types of (laughs) virtual reality. It It is, but it's quite clever. They've made these particular types of virtual reality, and the illusion is so strong that people keep walking around, and they don't realize they're going around in circles. So you're walking around in one room, but it feels like you've walked miles, but actually you haven't. That's Okay, that is really cool. That is clever, isn't it? That's really cool. That's because I, I, I saw a thing online about a Japanese janitor who had drawn a maze. Did you read oh, about this? Yeah, I do kind of remember it. His daughter dug it up in amongst his papers, just found it. It was just it was, it was a piece of paper, and she put it online. And everyone listening, if you if you want to see something amazing, just go look at it. It's the most intricate. It's and she sells it now. She sells prints of it because it's so beautiful. Huh. And and when you said infinite and it was in virtual, yeah. I kind of thought, oh no, when you look at this, this looks like it just goes on. You know when people say like the coastlines are... It's the idea of fractals, so that the closer you look in at something, it just gets more and more complicated. So it's just infinite in terms yeah. of... Yeah. yeah. Wow. But to be fair, I bet that the corridors were pretty dirty. <laughs> <laughs> no one can find anything in the school anymore. <laughs> I found out about ways you can navigate if you are lost just in an urban area. Okay. One way, one great way of doing it, um, satellite dishes almost all point in the same direction. Yes. In Britain, they almost all point to the southeast. Wow. Yeah. Also, going downhill is normally towards the river uh, or the coast yeah. if you're in a yeah. coastal place. Um, and if you're lost in the morning, you can find a station by going against the flow of people because everyone's going to work from the station if you're in the centre of town. Uh-huh. And if you're lost... Or oh, you the, might be going towards a huge fire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. It's not a perfect system. <laughs> uh, let's end with some stupid reasons for calling 911 or 999. Okay. Um, there was a man who received a letter asking him to attend a hospital appointment on Tuesday the 6th of February, and he called 999 to tell them that Tuesday wasn't the 6th. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think the Cornish uh, police force released a top ten list of the most ridiculous oh, yeah. emergency calls they'd have, and I think three of them were bird related. Oh. And uh, so one of them was a woman saying, "I can see a really rare bird sitting on top of a telegraph pole. Who shall I ring?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I read a thing on uh, it's doing the rounds on the internet at the moment. It's not particularly funny um, because it was a lady in distress, but it was a really interesting thing where uh, she called up nine 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 or nine one one, and she goes. Hi, I'd like to just put in an order for a pizza, ham and cheese. She said something, pepperoni. And they go, sorry, ma'am, this is this is the police. And she goes, yeah, I know. I'd love to get a ham and cheese pizza, please. And they go, what? Uh, sorry, you know this is the police? Yep. So can you, can you, uh, do you need me to tell you my location? Or do you know, have you got it? And they go, do you know, is there something going on there? Yes, there is. Yep. Uh, how long will that be? Uh- 
uh, okay, ma'am. We'll we'll just find your location. We'll be there very soon. Yep, quick, hurry. Um, we'll we we're very hungry, kind of thing. Like she oh, kept. Really? It's become a famous phone call that uh that the guy who took the phone call released. That's it was, amazing. It was a domestic abuse call, and right. he they and they tracked it and they worked out that that guy had got in trouble before yeah. twice for <gasps> domestic abuse. So they were like, God. this is definitely a sincere call. And right. Yes. That is really Clever. and well done for the operators realizing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. In June of this year, a woman in Birmingham phoned nine 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 because she was unhappy with how many sprinkles she had been given on her ice cream. (laughs) And they were all on the wrong side as well. Maybe she found 99. Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said over the course of this show, uh, you can find us on at QI Podcast. Uh, you can also get us individually on our Twitter handles. I'm on at Schreiberland. James. At Eggshaped. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. And Anna. Uh, you can email podcast at QI.com. And uh, yeah, that's it from us. We're going to be back again next week with another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. We'll catch you then. Goodbye. Oh,